bond yields aren't stopping. We are nipping at the heels of 3% for 10-year treasuries in the US, yet equities are also on the rise. How so? We'll look at that today on the podcast. Plus, the Japanese yen just keeps getting weaker, and it's pulling the renminbi down with it today. And the IMF has revised forecasts down quite a bit for Europe, but for Australia, they've actually upped the growth forecast. And the RBA minutes yesterday showed just how cautious the RBA is, and maybe the next hike won't be as high as many are expecting. It's Wednesday, the 20th of April, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, yesterday I asked Tapas if the fall in shares was the result of rising bond yields and whether those yields would be enough to offset any positive sentiment that might, we might see result from earnings results this week. Well, obviously that is not the case because today there's a rally in shares, uh, including a 2.1% rise in the Nasdaq and an eight basis point rise in 10-year Treasury yields, up to 2.93%. So they're both going up. Uh, there's an 11-point rise in two-year yields. So uh, back on the flattening cycle. Elsewhere on equities, the Dow and the S&P are both up 1.5%, but falls in Europe, including a 1.5% drop in the Euro stocks 50. We've also got an even stronger US dollar, now over 101 on the DXY, rising a quarter percent. But against that, the Aussie dollar has managed to pick up a little, gaining 0.4% to 73.8 US cents. So where is the US dollar strength coming from? Well, it's coming from the yen. The dollar is up 1.5% on the Japanese yen this morning, up to 129 yen. And uh, a big drop in oil today. Maybe that's helped with share prices. We've seen a a fall of more than 5.1% for WTI and Brent. Both still well over $100, though. 107 for Brent, almost 103 for WTI. Uh, Nabs Ray Atrill is with me this morning. Let's start with this simultaneous rise in bond yields and U.S. equities. Uh, on equities, banks are doing well, so I guess that that explains it a bit. But tech is doing particularly well, as we've seen with the Nasdaq, and companies are reporting strong results. Johnson and Johnson uh, up over three percent. Although this morning, the big miss this morning is Netflix. There was an expectation that they were going to lift uh, two point seven million on their subscriber numbers. They've actually fallen by two hundred thousand. Uh, this comes after the market close. This is the first time they've gone down. Uh, so uh, maybe we can take that as a good sign. We're actually all getting off the couch and getting back into real life. But you know. It is curious, isn't it? Seeing big rises when uh, bond yields are rising so much at the moment. It is, yeah. Good morning, Phil. And uh, so, as you noted in your intro, I think that uh, you know the, the view was that, uh, and Tapas articulated it yesterday. It doesn't make him a bad person that he said that Treasury yields no, would probably would, would 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 trump um, incoming earnings. But uh, at least in the last you know twenty four hours, at least that uh, you know that, that that theory has taken a little bit of a backseat because we've got a huge. I'm just looking at two year Treasury notes are up fifteen basis points to two point six percent, and tens are. Uh, um, you know, heading towards that sort of three percent level, up another six to seven basis points. But um, I think, it is, as far as the moves, I think it's hard to look past um, the earnings, incoming earnings, as you mentioned, Johnson Johnson um, up over three percent after mm. its uh, earnings results out prior to the New York well, close. The Bloomberg and- is saying this morning that uh, that so far, seventy nine percent of the forty eight companies that have posted have been uh, results that are a positive surprise on the S&P 500. I mean, obviously, uh, we've got a big surprise downward on on, uh, Netflix today. But that is good news because we really didn't know what to expect this time around, did we? No, absolutely. So, but I mean, 48 results is, well, less than 10% of the S&P. There's a long way to go 
through the earnings season. And the other thing I'd note, which I would sort of scratch my head at, is that um, oil prices are off, as you know, what, over 5%. Um, yes, lower oil prices, good for discretion, the, the, uh, the, the, the bank balances or the, or the wallets of consumers in terms of being able to buy other stuff if they're not having to pay quite as much for, for gasoline and, and heating bills, et cetera. But why are oil prices off? Well, because global growth outlook is continuing to dim, as we've seen from the IMF's um, taking an axe to its uh, global growth forecast overnight. Let's let's get on to that in a second, because I want to talk about the other side of that equation. So just as equities are rising, the the surprise was that they're rising while we've seen bond yields going so much higher. Why are they so much higher? Uh, We had Charles Evans from Chicago uh, Fed talking about a possible 2.5% rate uh, by the end of the year. James Bullard from the St. Louis Fed, uh, this is uh, throwing something into the mid- into, into the mix. 75 basis points, possibly. Uh, he's not dismissing it anyway. Uh, in 1994 was, was, the, was the last time that was tried. Are we, are we going through 1994 all over again, Ray? <laughs> Well, there's a little, there's a little bit of that, and uh, I say my colleague in uh, in New Zealand, who's a uh, a real bond market guru, has been noting that the speed of the move up, or the extent of the move up, over such a short period of time, um, you're really struggling to go back in history and find uh, a move of, of this sort of magnitude. So yeah, 1994 certainly does spring to mind. Um, but yes, Charles Evans, um, considered to be one of the more dovish uh, members, is, is talking about, as you say, the need or the probable need. To to get rates through neutral. I've just seen uh, Raphael Bostic from the Fed popping up on the wires um, as we're speaking, saying he's reluctant to say the Fed should push a long way above neutral, which is very different from saying rates needn't go above neutral at least. And and, and James Bullard has clearly been at the extreme end of the spectrum. And, and the earlier comments that uh, that came out um, yesterday um, were still saying he thought that um, there wasn't going to be a need to move in more than 50-point increments, but he wanted to see rates up at three and a half percent by the end of the year, so he's very much at the at the end of the spectrum. But his to, to his credit, you know, he was sort of making this call um, that rates needed to go up a lot further and faster than most of his colleagues were suggesting. You know, way back, you know, three to six months ago, and and, and so far, you'd have to say he's being vindicated. So he's a little bit of a, a canary in the coal mine in that respect. Well, let me tell you about 1994. They had seven hikes in a year, uh, including two 50 basis points rise, then that one 75 basis point rise. They didn't have a recession. Uh, they had a soft landing. So, you know, maybe 1994. They, the only difference, of course, is they had the luxury of being able to lift rates to 6% because they weren't quite so highly leveraged in 1994. Mm-hmm. Americans have got $11 trillion in mortgage debt now, and that's risen 8% in the last decade. So that, that's something that uh, obviously the Fed's got to keep an eye on is uh, what's <laughs> going to be the impact of, of that on uh, on mortgages. No, absolutely. And I suppose the other thing to note there is that, you know, are we heading, there, there are obviously a lot of storm clouds elsewhere in the world that, that could contribute mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to the risks of a US recession. At the same time, you know, we need to remember that real yields, real bond yields, if we look at, say, 10-year Treasury yields deflated by 10-year inflation expectations, um, still haven't edged into positive territory. They're perilously close. I think we're up to, what is it, something like minus 0.04 or minus 0.05 as far as 10-year real yields are concerned. So certainly, you know, when you look at things in real terms, they're not screaming, you know, imminent recession. And obviously, we've seen that yield curve, you know, having flirted with inversion just a couple of weeks ago, 1st of April, I think it was, you know, and now in positive territory at least. So, um, but, you know, whether or not 
um, the Fed can pull off this fabled soft landing, I think, is still, you know, mm. very much the the question of the of the day and the week, and I suspect the year. Yeah, well, a much more cautious approach from the RBA. We had their minutes yesterday. They want to look at the data a bit more before they decide when they're going to lift rates. What was what was really the takeout from from those minutes yesterday? Well, sort of two takeouts really. I mean, you know, the, the last paragraph of the minutes tends to replicate what we've already heard in the statement, and then then the key thing was that you know the the, the RBA is still wanting to assess incoming data in the coming months, and um, you know we're still saying that if, you know a massive upside surprise on CPI. You know, could get things over the line, but I think the underlying message was that they're still uh, hooked on June. So, following not just the CPI numbers, but the you know the later set of sort of national accounts and then then wages data. Even though they've sort of clearly changed their rhetoric on on wages to say that look, it, it's, it's coming down the pipe, even if we're not going to see it in the official WPI. And then um, a little bit esoteric, maybe for this morning, but they talked about you know what they're going to do with um, the rate that they pay on um, exchange settlement balance. And the whole sort of there's a couple of chunky paragraphs in there. And the takeaway, certainly from our sort of interest rate traders, was it does make it more likely that the first move from the RBA, which we still expect in June, will be a 15 basis point rise to 25 rather than, as has been speculated, that they might go you know, up 40 basis points all the way to 50 basis points. So um, mm. anyway, um, so that was one of the other takeaways. So I think the, the very front end pricing for rates did sort of slip back a little bit as the market had been flirting with the idea of a 40 basis point increase in June. Right, not the need for it just yet, but uh, and but you know, is, is Australia doing okay in terms of growth as well? We had the IMF forecasts, uh, revised forecasts out overnight. I mean, uh, two things from that. First of all, it's, it really is showing how the US is na- navigating a ba- better path through all of this than than Europe is. You know, we've heard that story time and time again. But the other side of it is uh, that uh, Australia they've actually upped the forecast for Australia. They have, but uh, literally only 0.1% from 4.1% in January to 4.2%. Mm. Uh, and they've actually lowered their 2023 forecast by the same amount. So they're at 2.5 from 2.6. But um, I think it's worth sort of probably noting that those countries that are enjoying massive positive terms of trade shocks from the rising commodity prices, you know, either side of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and, you know, are clearly going to get a positive income effect from that. And, and I think that justifies that small upward revision. Uh, and then you look at Europe, you look at Germany, yeah. slashed 1.7 percentage points, Italy 1.5. And pointedly, the IMF said that is without um, Europe agreeing to an embargo on Russian oil and gas. And effectively, they've said that um, were that to transpire, then um, we, we're heading into recession. Effectively, that's the message. But uh, as you say, US, um, you know, it's got that sort of least dirty shirt in the, in the laundry feel to it, hasn't it, in terms yeah. of far more limited uh, downgrades than elsewhere. Well, and the overall global growth uh, forecast just for, for the record down from three point, uh, sorry, 4.4% to January to 3.6%. So yeah, pretty I'm, chunky revision, but actually probably lagging where the private sector is already uh, is already thinking. Yeah, well, the US is at 3.7, so just above that average, but, you know, a minor downgrade from 4% down to 3.7% for this year. And interestingly, we saw housing starts in the US, uh, even though, you know, the prospect of much higher rates, it's not stopped housing development, housing uh, starts up almost 1.8 million new projects started in March. 
I know that was interesting and very much against expectations. So what starts up 0.3%, permits up 0.4%. And if you look at the quarterly numbers, so housing starts in the first quarter of this year have risen at a 21.6% annualised rate and, and housing permits closer to 30%. So, you know, there clearly are some you know, storm clouds relating uh, to, you know, 30-year mortgage rates, which is how uh, most people finance their house purchases in the US, are now up to, what, five and a quarter percent um, you know, and, and clearly activity has slowed a little bit. We'll get existing home sales numbers today. So, um, and, and weakness is expected there, but um, certainly a, a little bit of a surprise there that uh, for the time being, at least, you know, housing construction activity looks like it's proceeding apace. Well, we could take the positive sign that they're starting because people think that the costs are, are coming down for, for building and they've been too high in the past. Who knows? We'll have to see what a few months brings, won't we? Look, the, the weakness in the yen... Uh, that's the big move on currencies overnight. Uh, US yen cross has risen more than 12% in just a couple of weeks. It's the highest against the yen in a decade. Uh, that is, so what's the impact of that uh, for Japan? It's going to make, uh, obviously, imports more expensive, including particularly energy. Theoretically, it's going to make their cars cheaper, isn't it? I'm not sure if that's enough to, we'll, we'll get their trade numbers out today, so that'll give us a bit of that picture. Uh, but generally, it's it's bad news for Japan, isn't it? Well, the uh, the official line is that, on balance, it, it's a positive, because obviously it's going to affect right. those companies, as you suggest, that do export to the rest of the world, are going to become uh, a little bit more competitive, but uh, the rhetoric is coming from both the Bank of Japan and the Ministry of Finance is that these are very rapid moves and essentially that they are unwelcome. But the uh, the willingness or ability to actually do anything about it is uh, is highly questionable. And no, no, no coincidence that the rise in dollar yen has pretty much matched the speed of the rise in US Treasury yields. And while Japan remains sort of resolute in its sort of defense of its 0% 10-year JGB yield policy, then every time US Treasury yields go up, the yield differential goes up. Uh, and that is overriding whatever protests are coming from from uh, from officialdom. What's particularly interesting about the overnight move is that we've seen the Chinese yuan for the first time uh, moving weaker. So the US dollar against the yuan is up through 640 for the first time um, in over six months. And Possibly not coincidentally, if you look at the the cross between the Chinese renminbi and the Japanese yen, um, the the yuan had got to its strongest levels that we'd seen since 2015, which was just before the ill-fated um, botch or botched attempt at a, at a Chinese one de- depreciation um, set in. So it may well be, going back to your, your comment about Japanese cars being cheaper, uh, to some extent, Japan and, and, and China can be seen as competing in, in, in third markets for exports. And you know, at the moment, you know, the yuan has been strong, the, the, the yen has been weak, and so China is becoming you know, less and less competitive against some of its uh, some of its uh, Asian rivals, if you like. So um, perhaps no no coincidence that um, the one has weakened and it as yet has got no official protest. So that'll be interesting. And we do get a loan prime rate decision from the Chinese authorities today. And despite them not moving on the, um, the MLF rate last Friday, as had been expected, there is a consensus that there will be maybe a five basis point cut to that LPR this morning. Right. Well, not a lot uh, data-wise today. We get Canada's inflation numbers. That'll be interesting. And more Fed speakers. Can they up the ante even more today? That's right. So uh, I can't believe any incoming Fed rhetoric, James Bullard notwithstanding, is going to dislodge the market from conviction, not just that 50 basis points is happening in, uh, when is it, May the 4th um, or early 
hours of May the 5th, but um, more likely than not, we'll see a, another 50 basis point in June. So uh, uh, that said, every time Fed officials speak, they seem to have the ability to move Treasury yields still yeah. higher. So um, who's, who's going to so, so, uh, be there tomorrow saying 1%? We're going to raise it 1% next time. It's like a bidding war, isn't it, amongst them? Anyway, we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk. Uh, <laughs> catch you soon, Ray. Thanks. Well done. Thanks, Phil. And that is it. Another morning call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. Thanks for listening. See you then.